0: As the people of Israel find themselves yet again at the center of global attention since the terrorist incursion of October 7th, the nations are in an uproar. With pressure on Israel from all sides, those of us who stand with the Jewish people are wondering what we can do to help. Our guest today is Joshua Waller, whose organization HaYovel is providing real, tangible aid to Jewish people in Judea and Samaria. We're also privileged to have Boaz Michael, the founder and director of First Fruits of Zion, here with us today.
1: Put
2: your hand in mine together, we will walk
0: in harmony. Let me introduce you to my teacher, the rabbi from the gallery. You're listening to Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. Messiah Podcast is a production of First Fruits of Zion. Well, welcome back to Messiah Podcast. I'm here today with Boaz Michael, the founder and director of First Fruits of Zion. How are you doing today, Boaz? Good, thank God. Baruch Hashem. So today we have a special guest. We have another person there in the land of Israel that um, you've met personally over there, and I think you've known for quite a long time. Do you want to say a couple words about him before we bring him into the room here? Sure. Joshua Waller is serving with an organization called
1: Hallyuvel. We're going to be speaking about their work here on our podcast today. But I've uh, known their family since the mid-90s. I've watched Joshua kind of grow up a little bit. I think I first met him when he was... Early teens, maybe even below the age of 10 years old. So I've known him for quite a while and watched him grow into a wonderful, godly,
0: God-fearing man. Fantastic. So, um, well, let's bring him in. Joshua Waller, welcome to Messiah Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on the podcast. So, Joshua, you are known for a couple of things over there in Israel. You're on this YouTube channel, The Israel Guys. You have a website. But as I understand it, this all started – with an organization called Hayovel. And I wondered if you would tell our listeners a little bit about Hayovel. What does it mean and what is it?
2: Sure, Jacob. Yeah, we, we started 20 years ago. Basically, we were introduced to the land of Israel and we said, hey, we want to come and serve. We want to be a part of the restoration that's happening here. And Hayovel was founded. Hayovel means the jubilee. Yeah, obviously, uh, the context is uh, agricultural context to the biblical verses of HaYovel, the 50 year jubilee, it has a lot to do with farming, uh, especially here in the land of Israel. So, 2004, my father made his first trip, and we begin again working here in uh, specifically the areas of Judea and Samaria.
0: Judea and Samaria, and for for those who don't know that you, when you see Judea and Samaria on the news, it's referred to usually as the West Bank. So, I'm, I'm, my curiosity was piqued when you said that at some point, uh, many years ago, twenty years ago, that this interest and this passion uh, for Israel was was piqued or, or or had you know its its origin. But you know, in the, in the context of Christianity over over two thousand years, you know that's that's not the majority view. You know, we, most most Christians are still they're supersessionist They think Jewish people have no right to the land and that they're not God's people anymore. So, how how did it come to be that your family developed this passion for Israel? Where did that come from? What was the awakening like?
2: You know, I'd say it started just with being in a part of a family that loved Israel. You know, my grandparents loved Israel. We had a heritage of at least looking at the Bible through a perspective that the Jewish people were. The Jewish people and through a little bit of a lens, not necessarily a replacement theology lens, but that's not enough to warrant moving your family to Israel. And I would actually say uh, that you guys there at FFOZ had a big part in that because, you know, growing up, yeah, I had an Israeli flag in our house from my early childhood. We had a menorah sitting on our piano. Like we connected the Jewish people of Israel as a physical, tangible reality to that's God's people. There was no separation to that. And building upon that, a foundation, that's where actually you guys in the highest o programs and like early on my childhood, you, I mean, you guys were always saying Israel, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the Jewish people. I mean, things have, have gone and we've learned and we've grown a lot. But those early formidable years of me growing up in Nashville or Franklin, uh, Tennessee we're grateful for the pioneering that you guys had in those early days and helping to get set our trajectory where we are going and what we would do in Israel uh, was, was definitely helped by, by a lot of the, the pioneering that you guys did.
1: You know, I remember meeting your family for the first time. So uh, for those of you that are unaware, Joshua's parents are Tommy and Sher- Sherry Waller. Uh, Tommy had a vision and that vision is, you know, has matured into something beautiful and significant today in Samaria and it's impacting all of Israel, and it's impacting the world. But I remember uh, meeting your family for the first time. I was speaking in in Tennessee, and there was probably a couple hundred people there. And at the end, we opened up for uh, questions and answers, which I've now learned that that's probably not the wisest decision to do in a public setting like that, <laughs> but uh Your dad, he stood up and I remember all of you and your siblings just sitting there like, you know, in the, you took up, I think you have 11, uh, there's 11, there's 11 of you total. Is that correct? That's right. (laughs) The whole family was taking up a whole row (laughs) and your dad stood up and he said like, hey, um, I feel called to come to live in Israel. And how can my family come and live in Israel? And That's a question that that's a complicated question. There's a lot of complications to that, particularly for a Christian family of a total of 13 people. Like, how does that even work? What does that look like? So I, I of course, probably tried to dissuade your dad from that vision saying, you know, it's not possible. Don't even think about it. Just focus on your life here, your family. But years later, I think it was about three or four years ago when your dad and I uh, connected once again. I repented, I repented to him for trying to uh, dissuade him from what Hashem had laid on his heart because now it's obvious that Hashem did speak to your father, that there was a vision implanted there, that he did pursue that vision uh, with his whole heart. And now the land of Israel and the Jewish people are reaping the benefits of a godly, God-fearing Christian from Tennessee, Tommy Waller, who took, took his family and put them in a position of jeopardy and brought them to the land of Israel to serve the Jewish people and to serve the land of Israel. So I'll always have fond memories of that time, and, and it's especially beautiful now when I see the impact that you and your family are making here in Israel, um, in Judea and Samaria with the Jewish people.
2: Oh, Boaz, it's uh it's interesting talking about those early days because I'm sure and now that you know we've been ministering here and I've been the one speaking at the church and the person stands up and says, I want to go to Israel, and you're like, uh, you know <laughs> it's 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 actually kind of a proper a response to to get a reality check yeah. before you dive into something so big. So we've grown a lot together and now moving into this front here in Israel where it's there is a lot of challenges, and I think in a way, that response actually helped us to grow in understanding the reality that you can't just say, "I'm going to move to Israel and be a walk in the park," and like like it helped us set the tone for, okay, this is going to be a serious commitment." And so in a way, mm-hmm. I'd say God uses everything for the good, so we we're, we're, uh, we're grateful.
1: Well I'll tell you, we certainly have a friendship here in the land, but I think it's because we share a very deep spiritual DNA. In the 90s, it seemed as if Hashem was really awakening a lot of people to the vision of the land, the people, and the scriptures of Israel. And there were Christians that were moving away from kind of a dispensational view of Israel and really kind of embracing it for its reality of the modern day restoration and redemption aspect of what's happening with Israel. Um, Not in a Christian sense, but in a real Jewish sense of seeing mm-hmm. the modern state of Israel, its rebirth, its first flowering as a sign of the redemption that Hashem had promised to the Jewish people. So we love you and your family and we're grateful that we are serving uh, here in the land of Israel together and that our efforts combined are being fruitful for the sake of the kingdom and the redemption that's been promised to our people.
2: Amen to that. You know, we, we feel like we're like boots on the ground uh, in like a, uh, a humanitarian sense of building the physical here in Judea and Samaria. And it's such a powerful front. Uh, and then education, you know, it's such a powerful thing to to have people understanding why, like biblically, why is this important? And, and uh, the appreciation is, is massive to you guys for being able to put that kingdom mindedness into the body of believers across the world to know. Why is it important that we have a physical reality here in Israel? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest things lacking in our Christian world is is a, the physical, the tangible. And to me, guys, if we don't look at Israel, we miss the biggest testimony in the planet Earth. God created the Jewish people, the land of Israel, to make His name known throughout the whole world. And you guys are doing a great job about getting that Israel centered uh, message out to the world in a really tangible way that people can be a part of that. So we're we're, we're grateful to be on the team here.
1: Now, Hayavel has been known as an organization that is called the the Grape Pickers, that you guys just pick grapes. Mm-hmm. I want to know how, how Hayavel has matured over the years, but how you changed, matured, evolved with your work here in the land?
2: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. say it's, it's been a process and like we started, we were the Grape Pickers. Uh, that's who we were. We were here from the beginning. <clears throat> we weren't just here to pick grapes we're here to do whatever the need was and over the last 20 years you know thank god there's been other needs mm-hmm. you know water lines to farms or sheep to be watched or guys right now on night duty for guard shifts at a farm or, or you know planting trees or planting vines whatever it is you know as things have progressed you know we got visas to be here we're a volunteer organization that was accepted by the israeli government as a volunteer organization so then that moved us to a new level where we weren't just here three months out of the year anymore. We were here full time, whatever it was. We just said, yes, we want to help. So today, uh, you know, from from the, the very small beginnings of a fam- family just coming and serving, it's now three sure. to 500 volunteers every year that are coming in to serve. And you know, a lot of different capacities. It's uh, tree plantings to, you know, educational trips to building trips to, you know, whatever it could be, you know, or special ops trips. We're coming in and doing who knows what <clears throat> really on the front line of Zionism and seeing Jewish peoples rooted again, again back in their homeland. It's a, probably the most politically incorrect thing I could say, but the most common sense thing that could be said is Jews back in Judea is is a miracle and it's something that we can all get behind yeah. and and support it. Like politics is a let's just chuck it. Abraham told right on the mountain next to me, to your new descendants, I give this land. Like eat those promises and hold true to it. So that's our current response. Say yes.
1: You know, a few weeks ago, um, my wife and I came out and visited you guys out on Harbracha. Right? not excuse me, not a few weeks ago, maybe about these last few weeks have felt like a year. So yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's true. It was about six weeks ago where we came out and visited you guys. And I remember at that time, um, driving out to visit you on Harbraha that it was, it already felt uh, tentious. It already felt, it was a concerning drive. I can only imagine what it's like uh, now out there, if if we even would be allowed to, to visit. So First Roots Design has focused primarily on uh, the educational side of things. Our kind of founding Pillars that we focused on as an educational organization were uh, the three pillars that represent the covenantal relationship between God and the Jewish people that are found in the land, the people, and the scriptures of Israel. Our primary efforts as an educational organization have been in the area of primarily the scriptures, awakening Christians to a Jewish reading of the Bible, to understanding the Torah as a foundation to our faith, to understanding the nations, their prophetic connection to and destiny, not in replacement of, but alongside of the Jewish people. But what I love about the work of Hayovel is it is the boots on the ground. It is uh, really focused on the land and serving the people of Israel. So one of our foundational verses at First Roots of Zion comes from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, that says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths, for the Torah will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, so this text in Isaiah is speaking or prophesying of a time in the future, the time of the the great redemption, the time of the messianic age, in which the nations will say to Hashem, "Teach us your ways that we may walk and be obedient to you." For the Torah goes forth, the light from the light goes forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now Hayovel has a different kind of prophetic vision, so to speak, in terms of how you fit into that. So I think it's fair to say that both of our works have kind of this prophetic, prolepsis-type vision of of what we're doing now in today's world is just a glimpse or it's mimicking what's supposed to be taking place in the future. We're jumping ahead of the game, so to speak. In the Messianic Kingdom, the Word of the Lord will go forth from Zion. Uh, Zachariah tells us that the name of Hashem will be one, that there will be no more false gods, that that there will be clarity brought to the world. In fact, a beautiful part of this Isaiah text, it goes on to say in verse 4, it says that he, the Messiah, will judge between the nations. He'll settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And in light of our current crisis here in Israel, man, I'm I'm excited to see the day in which Messiah comes and fulfills that prophecy of there will be no more war, that there will be peace and that all these disputes will be settled. But our vision of the word going forth from Zion, that's fulfilled through our educational means, our books, our mm-hmm. programs, Hayasod, Torah Club, those types of things. The vision of Hayovel is something that is really beautiful. The text that you guys base your vision on is Isaiah 61, verse 5, where it says, Foreigners, the nations, will be your servants. They will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards. Mm. And you guys are doing that now. So maybe explain to our audience how you're doing that, how you're fulfilling that, how you're a prolepsis, uh, how you're kind of mimicking and offering those roles of servanthood to the Jewish people, to the land of Israel in advance of the kingdom.
2: You know, that was 20 years ago. That was their initial vision that God gave us to come and serve was to be a part of seeing the land of Israel come back to life. Like you mentioned, Jeremiah 31 5 and Isaiah 61 5, Ezekiel 36, like these passages of mm-hmm. the land of Israel coming back to life in response to the Jewish return. Mm-hmm. Like this is what was prophesied to happen. And, you know, growing up as a farmer in Tennessee, you know, we thought, you know, enough of the cabbage and corn and tomatoes that the Bible never talked about. Let's, you know, let's get to the real stuff. Like that <laughs> we've got an opportunity to be a part of putting our hands into the prophetic, and what you're saying, the prophetic word of God was coming to pass and either we sit on our farm in Tennessee and act like it's not happening or use these skills to do something that God is doing. And so when we first came here, you know, there was a couple acres of vineyards over Judea and Samaria today like just around me is 500 acres of vineyards. Like Mm -hmm. we're talking about, it's not like a, a a memorial planting of a vine. And now the prophecy is fulfilled. No, we're not talking about a, like a tour bus opportunity where you come and you plant a. No, we're talking about prophecy becoming a reality, like Mm -hmm. 2000 years of a dream and a prayer that this day would come. We're seeing it. -hmm. It's like the land is, is coming back to life. Like you said, as a symbol, that God remembers his promise. And it's pointing to the end of where we're, we're all looking forward to, like the redemption, the restoration, the fullness of this. And and these are symbols, you know, that Jeremiah uses very clearly. Guys, when you see this happening, this is the sign. This is God at work. Be encouraged. Just to be a part of that has been a huge, uh, for me as the director of operations here. I was here when I was 14. So I, like, I've grown up in the middle of this prophetic word coming about seeing it on a daily basis thank god it's moved even even to greater where we're seeing the land respond even in in bigger areas or a few years ago we were we were able to start a program in forestry so now we've got nations coming in and building back the land not only in agriculture and vineyards and olives and pomegranates and, and dates and seeing the land come back in those areas and also organic farms there's a bunch of organic farms that we help with we're seeing come back the forestry of the mountains of Israel that's is prophesied to also return. Just this year, we had teams coming in before the war. We put 20,000 roots in the ground, whether that was vineyards or trees or whatever that was. It's a huge you know, expression of, one, faith in God, and, and two, that he remembers his promises. It was prophesied to happen, and it's happening. The foreigners are coming, mm-hmm. and it's like we're facilitating something. You know, we talk about Zionism, and a lot of people wonder, what is that? Like, what does it mean? I tell people, like, most of the people that on the pro, they're more pro-Israel than they are like a Zionist. What does a Zionist mean? It's someone that believes uh, deeply that this story represents God, and the Jewish return represents God. And this is God's expression, right, in the earth today. And they want to do more than sit in the bleachers and just watch it. Like you can be a pro Israel person and wave your flag and, you know, all over the world. It's great. But to be a Zionist is, is it like to take, it's like jumping out of the bleacher with your flag and grabbing the ball and running the, to the end zone with the team. Like it's a, a whole nother layer of commitment. And I believe that God is calling all of those to move from the pro, pro Israel to a deeper commitment to jump in a little deeper, not to cause it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work just to wave a flag and say, go Israel, go anymore. It's like God's calling us to dive in, to get on the team and to help them succeed in this godly mission that God has given the people of Israel to, to do. It's a house of prayer for all nations, and it, it takes the nations to engage. So that's, I believe that's what our, our real mission and call is, is, is to give an opportunity for the nations to engage in more than just a wave the flag pro-Israel way, but a real Zionistic, tangible, prophetic, uh, boots-on-the-ground opportunity.
1: You know the term Zion itself, in the in a biblical narrative sense, is referred to the land of Israel, Mount Moriah specifically. But in its future prophetic role, when the messianic kingdom is established, so the term Zionist, you're exactly right. Uh, that uh, a biblical Zionist is one that understands the Bible to be true, takes God for His word, understanding that there will be a physical messianic kingdom here that goes forth from here. And that—that that is referencing a time in which this city of Jerusalem is also referred to as Zion. Now, our world, we have secular Zionists like Theodore Herzl, who had a, a vision for Zion, but from a secular point of view, that trying to create an ideal type state. You have biblical Zionists or religious Zionists that are seeing That ideal state is nothing that can be crafted by man, you know, a government or those types of things, but that we're working towards and longing towards and serving towards the establishment of that future place of Zion, which is symbolic of the Messianic kingdom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's interesting that the land itself Mm -hmm. has a covenant with Hashem. Hashem has a, a covenant with the land. And that this land can only bear fruit when the Jewish people are here in this land, which is why over the centuries, this land has been barren because it's not had a Jewish presence. But the minute the Jewish presence comes, the land starts to bear forth fruit and bear it forth in significance. So a few weeks ago when I was there, um, you had your volunteers, but what's happening right now on your campus? What, what's your campus look like?
2: Well, when you arrived here a few weeks ago, we were smack in the middle of a grape harvest season. So we harvested about 150 tons of grapes. Wow. That's yeah, a massive figure, you know, for a harvest team. No one ever dreamed in a million years that Israel would be facing this reality on the ground was, is a total nightmare. October 7th was just a, like a nightmare that was impossible, like, especially there the border there was the highest tech border in, in in all of israel and like and people put their faith so much in the technology of israel that literally it was like their uh titanic like they put so much faith and trust in that system and it failed and honestly it was like a, a system that was like whoa we've got to remember god we got to remember we got to go back to hashem, hashem without hashem where even our highest tech is useless and it really that's what i mean the people of israel on their knees now and and like I don't know if it's even come to that level of understanding, but that's that's the feeling here in Israel is our best failedest. and everyone's asking questions: How did this happen? What what? what how could this be? And our response to it since October seventh, our base of operations has all shifted. Our harvesters is in that season is ended. Well, we asked the locals. We said, "How can we serve you best?" And our whole operation here has always been how can we serve you? We want to be an opportunity. We want to serve in the best capacity, whatever that is. So if that's building up new farms and starting new farms and helping to establish Jewish presence here in Judea and Samaria, uh, that's an overall goal. That's what we've been doing. And here with October 7th, a whole new reality has hit. Local community leaders all asked us, they said, hey, can you help us uh, bring airlifts of supplies in? You know, when you're at this moment, it's kind of like, whoa, you, you just respond with, yes, <laughs> we're going to do everything we can to help. And we, we want to do that. So they asked us to bring $29 million worth of equipment in. And we said, well, <laughs> we guess well, maybe we should have put a limit on like what we said yes to. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, day and night since since October 7th, we're bringing in supplies and we're shifting that over to the 200 different communities throughout Judea and Samaria. There's 500,000 residents here that are now looking looking to us, not us alone, but we're the only rep- international representation in the whole area of a base on the ground that's actually supportive of these communities. So mm-hmm. half the base is turned into a military camp. We have about twenty soldiers here now. Uh, so we are housing soldiers. We've sent supplies and products all over Judea and Samaria. It's, it, it's uh, again, you'd it never in a million years think that this would be the situation, but uh, we are are here in the middle of it. <clears throat> you know, Buzz. What I my my current thing is is everybody's talking about proportionality. So what if we had a proportionate Christian, you know, whatever, believing, God-believing response to the massacre of Jews? Uh Like, what if we didn't just count on one hand in the 1930s and 40s, the people that stood with the Jewish people? What if we weren't able to count Uh the nations and the people that came out of the woodwork to stand with Israel? And that's that's what we're hoping for. That's what we are. Our goal is to raise up an army of support for Israel like Israel's never seen before. When I was on a call with Ambassador Friedman uh, the other day, he said, Israel needs a hug. He said, we're not only being attacked at home, we're being attacked at every level from all over the world. I go to a college campus right now. Jewish people are scared no matter where they are in the world. One of the safest places for Jews right now is Israel, and Israel's in the middle of war. Like we're back in the 1930s and 40s for, for everyone that's listening and understanding that it's time to engage Israel right now. It's time to give a hug where a hug is. And even more than a hug. And you know, I was his words, but to to embrace the people of God, like some of us haven't done before, it's time to seriously engage right now.
1: You know, um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this before, but back in the States, perhaps they're still around. I'm not sure. Maybe, Jacob, you know, it was like a fake folded $20 bill. Oh, yeah. Where it would look like someone's giving you $20, but then you would unfold it and it would be a track. It would say like, you know, do you want to spend eternity in heaven or do you want to <laughs> spend eternity in hell? This cheesy, non-effective, non-gospel message that was just trying to, you know, propagate this evangelical view of saying a prayer of some sort. So, you know, I know that uh, First words of Zion has been, and I know that how has been accused at times in terms of like our intentions here in the land, our intentions with mm. uh, serving the Jewish people or educating the Jewish people or educating the nations, that this at times has been criticized greatly and har- very, very harshly here by serious and concerned Jewish people, that your efforts, our efforts, but let's speak about how for a moment, are intended to Give money with one hand, give support with one hand, serve with one hand. But with the other hand, you're kind of bringing that cheesy little $20 track with the other hand saying, here, believe in Jesus. Come and and, um, accept the gospel. Become a Christian. Become evangelical. So perhaps you can speak to that because I I know the answer to that. But Mm -hmm. I want to make sure our audience understands that that's not your intention.
2: Sure, and it's something to make very clear because you know the Jewish people are very concerned about that—that that we're bringing in and we're trying to take away Jewish identity—and that'd be the last thing that any of us would want to do is take away Jewish identity. And so I think it's very important that we we clarify what our role is, and our role here is to love and to bless and support Israel. We have rabbinical oversight, boys. I think you already know that. But like. <laughs> We're, we're, we're a Christian organization that has rabbinical oversight. I don't think there's such a thing that exists in the planet. I'm one from the nations and I believe 100% in God speaking and working through his people. I'm not coming in to cut that and break in and like intercept this relationship that God has with his people. That's the last thing that we want to do. And so our, our mission is very clear. You know, it's an upside down kind of message that the Christian world gives that somehow, Christians are the ones that are supposed to bring light to the whole nation, all the world? No. It's very clear that the Jewish, the people of, of Israel are to bring that light to the world. It's not the people of the world bringing the light to Israel. It's the other way around. It's very clear prophetically. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Bible that Christians read, it's very clear yep. that the Jewish people are responsible for holding the oracles of God and then spreading that light to the entire world. So we, it's uh, so vital. So here at High Valley, we have very strong, we have every volunteer that comes in has, they sign a waiver. I will not proselytize Jewish people.
0: Nice.
2: Uh, we believe in that very strongly. We have a responsibility to the Jewish people to protect them. That's a threat to Israel that they've had for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's a Balaam threat, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a threat of, of assimilation yeah, it is. um, that Israel has faced for a very long time. And unfortunately, the Christian world has been a Balaam uh, to Israel in regards to taking away their Jewishness. To taking away their cultural God-given uh, role. And that was, that was Balaam's whole uh, you know agenda yeah. was to weaken Israel through that. And unfortunately the Christians have, have played a Balaam like role in the Jewish history. And so we have to be so, so strong about protecting Israel and protecting Israel's Jewishness.
1: Yeah, you're right. Since October 7th, we have been assaulted here in the land of Israel. We are in a position that feels very vulnerable, very serious, But really, historically, for Christians that have embraced a replacement theological framework that says that Jews have to become Christians and these types of things, Mm -hmm. they've been uh, a part of the process of the annihilation of the Jewish people for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And our organization certainly is trying to educate Christians to sit back and say, hey, you are dependent upon God's faithfulness to the Jewish people. And you need to come alongside them, not replace them, come alongside them, because uh, God's promises of the future redemption are not to the nations. They are to the people of Israel. So let's shift gears and let's talk about October 7th. First, I just want to hear about what it was it like for you and your family on that morning, on that Shabbat morning? I'm not even sure if you had sirens out there or if you knew what was, what was taking place. But what was it like for you?
2: Well, the first word we heard because we were, you know, right in the middle of Shabbat in a religious Jewish community. So it's like when people that are observant Jewish people showed up here, our first response team showed up and they with their phones and their, their weapons and they were all geared and everything went into immediate lockdown. And as stuff started to come clear, what actually happened, uh, you know, by Sunday, it was all out, you know, nightmare of what would actually had taken place. And we had 60 volunteers here. And, you know, the airport's closed. And of course, most of our guys, (laughs) very Zionistic. Nobody wants to leave anyway, right? (laughs) Everybody wants to be here to serve and whatever they can do, even in Israel's wartime, which was encouraging. You know, I've never been in Israel in a time like this. I've experienced a lot of things. Two of our neighbors were murdered in a terror attack uh, just in February. These are two two brothers that, that we knew. You know, for the world, it's like this, this is just now struck. But for us living here, there's been a buildup for many, many years. And the loss of friends and neighbors is something that everyone in Israel knows. Mm -hmm. And it's only unfortunate that after the lives of 1400 Israelis were massacred, that now the world has actually brought this to their attention. It's it's an unfortunate situation. Obviously, this is like it's in everyone's face now. This has been here since the founding of Israel. It's never been eradicated this theology, this, this mindsets of these radical Islamists has been here, and it's been allowed to be here uh, since the founding of Israel, and it's it's risen higher at different times. But I think it's something very important to note, that in Judea and Samaria specifically, we live in the midst of these hostile enemies to the people of God returning to the land of Israel. October 7th was a massive wake-up call to the rest of the world for what's been happening in Judean Samaria uh, for quite some time. We had 30 attacks in a nearby Arab village over the year. So the day before the the attack, there was a husband and wife driving through the, the road just below me. Uh, husband and wife and their baby had 15 rounds shot into their car. I mean, we were living the reality of war without the world recognizing it for a while. Yeah. That was our situation here. We had We had already gone to only using bulletproof buses for volunteers. Uh, before October 7th, the reality was already happening here.
1: You know, here in uh, Jerusalem, it's eerily quiet. It feels like the summer a little bit because Israelis, they travel in the summer. So all the kids are out of school and everybody leaves to go you know, to Europe or go on vacation. And the streets are quiet and there's not a lot of people around. And it feels like that now in Jerusalem. And one of the things they said is that everybody in Israel is either – Currently on Miloim, which is the mandatory service for, for our um, uh, what would be the equivalent in the United States, the uh, the reserve duty, the, the National Guard, yeah, reserve duty, mm, yeah. Or they're they're sitting in Ashiva. They're sitting mm. at a funeral at a house of a mourner. Everybody here has been deeply impacted. Um, we all have friends or friends of friends that we've that we've mourned that we're currently praying for because we know that they're entering into uh, Gaza, they're entering into harm's way, or they're serving on the northern border. It is a very troubling, troubling time. All right. So I want to educate our audience a bit and just make sure that everybody understands some uh, facts on the ground here. So
0: Mm.
1: explain to our audience, what is the difference between Judea and Samaria? And how does that differ from the Palestinians that are in Gaza?
2: The big fact of the matter is, is that the political world is trying to make a big difference, really pull it down to the actual reality. There's not a big difference between the Arabs of the Gaza and the Arabs of Judea and Samaria. They're all Arabs that have come to Israel over about three generations from Arab nations surrounding. So this is what makes up so-called Palestinians. I mean, I've got an Arab neighbor over here. His name is Al-Masri. Al-Masri is the Egyptian (laughs) in Arabic so like (laughs) where where was he from you're right he'll tell you he's Palestinian today Uh, his last name is literally the Egyptian so these Arabs have come flocking in from all over no matter probably bad situations in the Arab world news to anybody (laughs) bad situations in the Arab world of course they want to come somewhere else so they're flocking into Israel over a period of three generations or so and they're creating the scene that we have here and I'll tell you what the world doesn't understand is, is that it's so tribal Even from village to village, it's a different tribe that has nothing to do with the other tribe. The dialect of Arabic spoken in Shechem to Ramallah to Hebron is totally different. They have nothing to do with each other. The Western idea that you could create a Palestinian state is so far from a reality. Uh, It's insanity. The fact is, is that no Arab in the whole region would ever want such a thing. And that's why they've never said yes to it, because they would all kill each other. Uh, If they were ever put in the same box, Mm -hmm. even right below me in Shem, we have, if you go over there at any moment, even now with the crazy hostilities, they're fighting each other. There was a massive civil war over there just a few days ago. Mm -hmm. They're fighting each other. The reality on the ground is Judea and Samaria, the Gaza, they're proxy fighter groups that are extended arms of not only Iran, but Jordan. And Syria and Lebanon, so all of the Arab world is is has these proxy groups, right? Not only Hamas that everyone knows, but there's 22 other terrorist organizations working in these regions, and this is the outlay of what Israel's facing on what I call on the multi-war front. It's the fourth front. It's not Gaza. It's not the Syria and Lebanon. It's it's Judea and Samaria. It's the the 500,000 Jews living in the 200 communities surrounded by two to three million Arabs. You know, but it makes no sense. There's 22 Arab states.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's 50-something majority Muslim countries in the world. And yet the world, the sophisticated, you know, Western world is promoting the one and only Jewish state to somehow need to, to take care of a, an Arab problem. Like it's it's Jew hatred at its finest. Mm-hmm. Aside from the fact that we all know that this is a bigger story and that God is, is doing something on the planet earth. And the whole world is focusing in on it. So again, that's that's uh, the lay of the land here from Gaza to Judea and Samaria and, and a little bit of the detail that surrounds that. Obviously, we believe the Jewish people's coming back to the land of Israel includes the biblical heartland of Israel. It's where 85% of the Bible happens. It's not going to exclude the biblical landscape of, of our Bible.
1: So if there were elections in Judea and Samaria today, or I I guess properly called in this context, the West Bank, if there were elections in the West Bank for a Palestinian government, which is currently the PA under Mahmoud Abbas, who would be elected the the governance of the West Bank?
2: It's a great question and the whole world would say they wouldn't elect Hamas. Well, the fact is they would, Mm -hmm. they would elect Hamas Um, Even right now, everybody thinks the PA is some sort of like neutral, you know, Arab entity that's like pro, you know, Israel. But no way. The actual elected officials of the PA right now are stating publicly in Arabic that they wish the same thing that happened in Gaza would happen here in Judea and Samaria. So for anybody to agree with everybody that's stating, oh, don't believe that all the Arabs are this way or that way. The majority's not Hamas. That's the that's the the going thing. Well, if they're not Hamas, there's some other terrorist organization that is bent on driving Israel into the sea. And maybe that's not politically correct to say, but if you don't recognize the truth of the situation, you'll never be able to fight it. And so Israel has to recognize that they have a hostile enemy that's not only Gaza and the villages around Judea and Samaria, it includes an entire Arab world. That's goal, religious goal is to eradicate, just like Hitler, eradicate Jews from from the earth and specifically drive them into the sea in Israel. If you go into an Arab village, which I've done many times, all you see in the streets is pictures of their uh, jihadists or, you know, martyrs, their martyrs. That's, yeah. that's, that's what they're promoting from childhood. So mm-hmm. we, as the supporters of Israel and those that are coming alongside Israel, have to recognize the major battle that's Israel's up against, not only in the war front, but also like this right now, we're talking. One of the biggest things that Israel faces is the media mm-hmm. and the media will never, even right now, they can't decide if Hamas is bad or not. That's horrific. Mm-hmm. And that's, this is a front that all of us need to be fighting. <clears throat> the actual politics on the ground are really, really, really important.
1: When this whole thing first started, we were all speculating what the, what the heck is going on? We were in shock. Like, this is unfathomable. Now we understood Hamas's attack and we understood their intentions because that's stated. They're clear. Their intention is to annihilate the existence of the Jewish people. It's not about land. It's about annihilating the Jewish people. So we understood that. But what we didn't understand was why all of a sudden, all of these nations that have been so nuanced and so controlling of Israel like the United States or Canada or Germany U- Europe the U- the EU the all these different types of things why are they all of a sudden being so friendly why are they moving warships into the Mediterranean off the coast and what is the intention so my son he speculated he said he said i think what's happening behind the scenes there's been this deal and this maneuvering of this support to hold off the other nations. So the United States is coming and saying, hey, Lebanon, don't get involved. Hey, Syria, don't get involved. Let Israel deal with their business. Did Israel, we want you to annihilate Hamas. And if we allow you to annihilate Hamas, what you're gonna give us in return
0: mm-hmm.
1: is a two-state solution. So that was my son's speculation. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure. But before we jump into the practical side of how people can connect with you, give into the real needs of the communities of Judea and Samaria, I just want you to go kind of unscripted. We're not going to hold you accountable to this, but <laughs> someone
0: might, but we won't.
1: <laughs> what do you speculate? What what's going on here?
2: I don't. It's a great question, and obviously, on the world stage, the U.S. is not moving warships into the Mediterranean to help Israel fight against Hamas. That's clear, right? <clears throat> so from my speculation, one, the world has been very clear that they want a two-state solution. The whole world, like every, every angle, everybody, they want a 23rd Arab state and they want Israel to be halved. They want a indefensible Jewish state. Of course, they're not going to say it that way, that this is what they're going to go for. And whether this leads to a biblical scenario or not, that's kind of what we're in the balance of now. Like when you tell Israel, they can't go annihilate, like you're going to say you shouldn't enter Gaza and destroy your enemies, or you can't strike Hezbollah and you're giving Hezbollah millions and millions of dollars in the North. And you're giving Iran $6 billion and you're giving a hundred million dollars to refuel Hamas and Gaza. Like since Biden was elected, they gave $2 billion to the Palestinians as they're still paying terrorists that killed Jews. Like So American in this administration can say whatever it wants, but at the end of the day, they're anti-Israel and they've got an agenda. That's for sure. Uh, And I believe their agenda is to create a two-state solution. And whether this two-state solution is the prophesied event that the whole world gathers around to annihilate Israel, who knows? Like I'm very, I I hate to believe that all the prophecies are always going to be negative. I really have a, a vision that we can move into a, for seeing the the good prophecies being fulfilled, and so I'm not a dooms and glooms guy, and I'm a very um, you know I like to see the world through rose colored glasses, and so this war has been a little bit challenging for me because before October seventh, I would have told you that that would not happen. We can't look at Israel as just a prophecy board and play a game. Like I really challenge that that thinking that has Israel as as a. Just a prophecy, my Bible barometer, and we're just looking at Israel just to see what time it is. That, that there's a place in my heart that really hurts when people do that because it's not treating it to the, the the level of respect. We're talking about Israel, we're talking about God's people, and I would love to see this time end quickly. Like somehow it could be a Nineveh situation where they repented and the wrath and the judgment and all this is is subsided, and you know Messiah comes in mercy, right? That's my vision, and I really hope for that. I still have vision for that. It's being challenged right now because we have a global situation of all nations coming against Israel. I'm no theologian, but I'm sure you have your own thoughts to yourself, but this is Josh uh, unscripted, you know, just a simple guy. <laughs> I'm a farmer that's that's listened to a lot of people in my life. And I think a lot of people could probably relate. Just simple people that are looking at their Bibles and trying to say, I don't understand. I've gone one way and now I see, it, I see war, and, but I've, I, I hope for the prophecies. Like I'll tell you, I'm seeing prophecy fulfilled in the positive. The Jewish people come back to the land
0: mm-hmm.
2: and Amos says they're not going to be uprooted again.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm seeing the vineyards that were prophesied. They're there. Yeah, It's not the fake Jews returning to the land of Israel. It's the promised seed of Abraham that is like, we're seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. And so I have hope that this time of trouble would be cut short. Uh, I think we have to prepare but I honestly, Josh Un- uncuffed is is saying, my hope and prayer is is that this war would end very quickly and we would move into the positive prophecy right now and not have one more day of negative prophecy in Israel. Yeah. And those prophecies are there, yeah. but and it's my prayer that they they don't have to be fulfilled any longer. We've seen enough Jewish lives lost. Two thousand years is not long enough, right? Yeah. Uh, to see move into a new time. So I know there's a lot of theological things there, but, but that's honestly where I see, see the hope of Israel is that we'll move into a time of redemption quickly.
0: Amen. Yeah. Traditional Judaism does have this idea that, um, so if God says something good is going to happen, it definitely will, mm-hmm. and it might get delayed or something, but it, he has to follow through on that. But if he says something bad's going to happen, uh, up to a point, you know there's a point where it becomes a decree and there's nothing you can do but up to up to almost the 11th hour you can reverse a bad judgment and i've been thinking for years that all of this all of this end time stuff where you know everybody gets smashed and everyone gets destroyed and everybody dies and then jesus comes back you know and, and people are like you said looking at israel almost just like frothing at the mouth mm-hmm. waiting for the worst outcome because they're bored from COVID and there's nothing to do and they watched all the Netflix. So like, I think that you're right. And I think that the hope is real and valid that there's a, there's like a happy ending for Israel and there's a way to avoid the tribulation for all the prophecy buffs who who say that it has to happen a certain way. It doesn't, there's always a way out. There's always a way through, through repentance and return um, heeding God's message through the prophets, through Yeshua. All of that can be avoided. And I think that we do have to keep that hope alive and not become like total doom and gloomers, like you said. Right. <clears throat> right.
1: I know this is a struggle for you. You've been talking a lot. Your voice is kind of going out. so <laughs>
2: You hear that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. But it's okay. I think I've been docking straight
2: since the war broke out. This is This is my one job, and it's like finally telling me, Josh – You've
1: talked too much, yeah. hey Josh. Don't don't ever speak with your voice. Continue to speak with your heart. So we'll we'll work through the voice issues. <laughs> we right. hear your heart. <laughs> I actually really appreciate your perspective. I've never heard of Judea and Samaria I, again on a political landscape, on a worldwide landscape. The idea of the West Bank being the fourth front. Israel is facing uh, multi border war. You know, we're seeing activity up on the northern border with Lebanon, with Syria. We obviously are encountering issues with Gaza. We have the heartland of our country, Judea and Samaria, that has, you know, hostile enemies of the existence of the Jewish people. We also have been receiving th- bombs all the way from Yemen. Right, A lot of our southern uh, Moshevim and Kibbutzim that were along the border of Gaza, they've been uh, removed and they were being uh, being put in hotels around the country to get out of arms way. A bunch of people from the south were housing in uh, hotels in a lot. So what does Yemen do? Yemen is launching missiles towards these hotels in a lot. You know, the world wants to sit back and say that Israel is attempting genocide on the Arabs within our land. You know, there's nothing that could be further from the truth. I went to the gym today and in the gym, which is on a kibbutz, a Jewish kibbutz here outside of Jerusalem, there were more Arabs there in the gym than there were Jews working out next to the Jews. Everybody's like, you know, lifting weights and running on machines together. Everything's normal. They were not under any form of threat. But Israel is uh, on a world scale through the auspices of the media. I would say at the heart, you have this layered thing. You have anti-Israel is a veil for a form of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism ultimately is a veil, I think, for anti-monotheism, that really what we're facing is a war against our God, the God of Israel, the one true God. And we're facing this, and we need our friends from the nations to stand up, be that voice, come alongside of Israel, which probably for some of them might be the for the first time in their life that as a Christian, they are facing possible harsh reactions within their community to stand up for the Jewish people.
2: Yeah, I think it's a real real serious deal. I mean, even on our front, our Instagram accounts were taken down. People that are are jumping off of the just the little pro-Israel bench, they're jumping into engaging and then they're all of a sudden you get pushed back. I've been in direct contact with my Senator in Tennessee and she put our Instagram account back on. Mm. We've had bank uh, accounts frozen because of what we're doing. Like Mm. there's fronts that are high echelon fronts that are, we're having to deal with no matter what it costs us, whether you're on a college campus or wherever you are. And so I think now as a wake up call for all of us, We've got to train we've got to be spiritually ready we've got to be trained for this time and it's not a time to hunker down it's a time to dig in like big time to be prepared our families have to be ready yeah. and solid in our faith and what we're called to and, and, and a really awesome story uh an old friend of mine from canada just awesome guy and he, we've kept up and our, you know great friend As soon as the war broke out he was here and to me, that was so encouraging. Like he literally on flying over here, he has a wife and children and he was ready to sacrifice everything hmm. to be with the Jewish people in their time of need. So hmm. I think that's the level that I want to like, everyone can't do that. I understand it's yeah. not even helpful for everyone to do that, but to be ready to do that, that should be our faith. And I'm so like, was encouraged and, and really proud to be a, a friend of a man that would go to that link to, to really risk his life when he's got on that plane, leaving his four children and his wife, he thought he may not be coming back. Like he was ready to go to the forefront hmm. of defending Israel, like a Corrie Ten Boom, hmm. saying, I will hide Jews in my house and it may cost me my life. I'm going to defend the communities of Judea and Samaria and it may cost me my life. But when we're talking about eternal, like when we're talking, mm-hmm. we can't stand against it. We have to engage and understand. We have to be so solid in our faith to know, this is where we need to be, and I can't uh, stress it more enough mm-hmm. of the need to be physically and, and, spirit more more importantly, spiritually grounded in this day when we're seeing the shaking, shaking of the world happening.
1: You know, Josh, we, uh, at, at First Roots of Zion, we've purposely not created any type of fund to solicit resources, financial resources from the nations to help give into to Israel. Our role has always been educational and primarily focused on the nation. So one of the things we've been doing is saying to our constituency, hey, join the battle, be a voice, be brave, start a highest course in your church with your family, strengthen Christians' perspective of their dependent connection upon God's promises to the land, the people, and the scriptures of Israel. We didn't feel the need with so many valid options for us to create a fund we rather we just want to point people in a certain direction and say, Hey, we trust these guys. We trust this source. If you want to give in some capacity, go give to a charity that is supporting victims of terror, or go give to a charity in Israel that is serving on a medic on the medical front lines, or go give in some capacity to organizations that are already serving in those capacities. So, you guys are in Judea and Samaria, October 7th happens, every Israeli and every individual from amongst the nations that that is here that is serving the Jewish people. On October 8th, everybody wakes up and says, what can I do? How can I serve? And you guys send out a notification to all of your connected communities in Judea and Samaria and say, we're here to serve. How can we help? So what was the response and what did you do?
2: Yeah. So we, we were contacted by the locals, like you said, the local governors from our whole region. They said, we need these supplies. $29 million, right? And we said, yes, again, because we were asked. We said, yes, we'll do whatever we can. Uh, 29 million for an organization that usually runs, you know, around a million annually. Like, you know, this, these funds that we're, we're bringing in are going directly, 100% directly to projects. So we're just, again, being facilitators of a massive move to help these people that God has called us to serve. So we opened the operation called Operation ETAI, I-T-T-A-I. Well, we love the character so much. And when we realized, whoa, this is much bigger than us. This is something that the whole world needs to respond. We need a, as we talked about, a proportionate Christian response, a proportionate non-Jewish response, a world response to the massacre of Jews. We said who could symbolize this more than Etai? Etai was a man from Gaza who chose to get out of Goliath run territory, right? Goliath is also from that area. Etai could have easily been like Goliath and fought against Israel, but he chose instead to look beyond what was natural. And in David's time of need when David is is running and hiding, Etai comes along beside David and says, "I'm here to serve you." David First, he tells him, "No, this is—you don't need to do this. This is crazy, right?" And then Etai says, "No, David, I'm with you. I'm ready to stand with you in your time of need, and I will fight for you." And he takes his 500 men, he joins uh, King David, and, and Etai becomes a commander in King David's army. He's one of the mighty men, uh, a non-Jew that joins Israel. He's like a really a male version of like a Ruth that comes and joins together with Israel in a really significant time. It's not in David's high moment. It's in David's low moment when he's being pursued by Absalom and his kingship is being taken away. And so I think for Operation Etai, this was a very significant name for us as non-Jews coming to Israel's aid in a really low time. We opened Operation Etai.com. And to date, we have almost 2,000 people have been a part of the project in in donations. We've raised about uh, nearly $1.7 million dollars of that 29 million goal to date, we have uh, 1.3 million of that has already procured equipment. Uh, We have an airlift of supplies that will be arriving uh, in Israel next week, stuff like helmets and thermal drones and night vision and flashlights and protective vests, like everything that's needed that these guys requested. So we're bringing it in as fast and as quickly as we can raise the funds. And one reason for my voice being totally gone is because of the day and night uh, talking of and telling the world of this need. <clears throat> we do feel very alone on this side, trying to wake up a sleeping world to the reality of the, the situation on the ground. We have 14, 13-year-old boys doing guard duty on communities. We have 18-year-old girls doing guard duty on these communities, like <clears throat> just the basic supplies are so needed. That's, that's Operation Etai. If we can, again, have a proportionate Christian response, I feel like this is it.
1: Well, Josh, thank you for your time. Thank you for the vision of your family serving uh, the Jewish people of Judea and Samaria. I want to have Jacob close us out and I want him to, with his beautiful uh, radio voice, (laughs) clearly tell people how to give to project etai and then i certainly want to encourage our our constituency to be generous and to give as hashem lays upon their heart i appreciate your vision of moving into the prophecies of good mm-hmm. we desire to see the word go forth from zion we desire the nations to come in alignment with and partner with god's prophetic plan through the jewish people the Jewish people need the nations as a as a partner. The kingdom is not about the Jewish people only. The kingdom is both for Jews and for Gentiles that are serving the God of Israel. That's our vision. And you guys are boots on the ground and serving in very practical ways. And I'm, I'm grateful that we're in relationship and that we can continue mm-hmm. to serve together.
2: <clears throat> Amen to that. Thank you, Boaz. This has uh, been a really privilege to be on here, even in this limited capacity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Here at Messiah Podcast, we're we're grateful to you, Boaz, and to you, Josh, for coming to join us today. You can find Josh on the YouTube channel, The Israel Guys, and you can find out more about Operation Etai at operationetai.com, I-T-T-A-I, and we'll have those links in the description below. Well, thanks for joining us today on Messiah Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the Jewish Jesus, check out First Fruits of Zion at ffoz.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Messiah Podcast is made possible by the generosity of our First Fruits of Zion friends. FFOZ friends are people like you who support our mission and get loads of exclusive Bible commentary, teaching, and content. You can join today at ffoz.org. Tune in next time for more great conversations. Until then, I'm Jacob Franzak. Shalom. Let his word cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea Let his love cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea